as a professional in this industry, you're always used to being able to kind of create a setting and control an environment. And we're also used to being really busy. But now that um, now that that's kind of been taken away, it's kind of like how do you how do you feel your day and how do you feel useful in the day? I'm Danny Vallant, and this is Dirty Linen, the podcast that takes the issues the hospitality industry finds hard to air in public and shakes them all about. We're continuing Mental Health Fortnight on Dirty Linen by talking to one of my favourite hospitality operators, Nathan Tolman. I've been following Nathan's career for about 13 years when he and his wife, Sarah, first opened a cafe called Apt uh, in Alphington. And there was something that felt so good about it, so Melbourne, but also, I don't know, a little bit new. I don't think it was just the chocolate cheesecake brownie, which went viral before going viral was even a thing. And look where we are now with things going viral. But anyway, Nathan, I've loved the things that you've opened up over the years. Um, Top Paddock, Higher Ground, and more recently, Hazel and Dessou in the city. Thank you so much for coming to have a chat to Dirty Linen. No worries, Danny. How are you going? Oh, you know, I'm all right. It's a, such a loaded <laughs> question at the moment, isn't it? It's like I feel like I'm... Yeah, it's probably not. <laughs> I, I'm all right, everything considered. I mean, I... I made a really yeah. nice soup today. I went out this morning with my dog and put my hand on a big old gum tree for about 30 seconds and that made me feel a bit grounded and good. But, yeah, everything's a bit of a strange, weird swirl at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. Someone said to me the other day, um, we, what number are you? You know, And she's like, oh, depends when you ask me. I'm a number sort of seven or eight sometimes and a number three or four, you know, five minutes later. I think that's the way it is at the moment, isn't it? Is that like marking your mood out of 10 or whatever? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you reckon you are today? Um, well, I've just had a, a good meeting for a few hours with some really inspiring people. So I'm back up to an eight. But, you know, probably before that meeting, I was about a four or five. It's just crazy the way um, your moods can be so influenced at the moment. Yeah. Well, and speaking of that, when I asked you to do this podcast over email a few days ago, um, first you just didn't answer me. And then when I when I prompted you, you gave me a very long no because you just felt like, nah, you were feeling too swirly to chat about mental health. And then you messaged me back and said, actually, after all, you would. And I think you eventually came to the right answer because I reckon if you're feeling like, it's just too swirly and you're not, you can't talk about mental well-being because you're just feeling in the thick of it yourself, then that's probably exactly the right time to talk about it. Yeah, that's right. I think, um, I think I kind of felt like I didn't have a right to be talking about mental health because mine was such a mess at the moment. Um, but then after listening to a few of your podcasts and just speaking to some friends, they were like, this is probably the time you should be talking the most about mental health and being open about it. So, yeah, I, um, I came around and decided to talk to you. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Uh, you were one of the first people I thought of when I, I thought about talking about mental health and hospitality, and that's because you've been so proactive in your businesses about putting it front and centre of the way that you the way that you are as an employer and uh, making you know really fantastic activities open to your staff, like you know gardening and meditation um can you talk a bit about what about all that stuff and and what you've done as a business owner uh yeah look I don't think um I don't think it was necessarily a conscious decision that I'd made sort of this is what it's important to me but I think just from from you know, I'm, I'm married to a chef and I've, I've, I've worked with so many great chefs over the years 
Um, I, I kind of always just feel like as, as a chef or as a hospitality professional, you're constantly having to please others and always saying yes to everybody. And I think, um, you know, you're constantly running on adrenaline, you know, busy restaurants don't have sort of breaks where you can kind of just, you know, slow down for a minute. And then at the end of your shift, you're kind of, um, you know, you have to sort of go home and somehow unwind and then go to bed. And, and a lot of the time, you know, I, I sort of saw chefs and my fellow workers kind of going, you know, going home really wide and having a few drinks. And I just kind of felt like it wasn't, wasn't really healthy or sustainable. And I think, um, just from, from the, the fortune of having a farm a few years ago, um, one of my, one of my chefs, um, at the time who was openly struggling with mental health and at the time, you know, people never really spoke about it. Um, he said, you know, look, I've, I've suffered from anxiety and depression. And, um, I said, do you want to come down to the farm and just do a bit of working on the farm with me? And, and he came down one day a week and then it became two days a week. And, um, we started to realize not only a change in him, but there was this kind of real positive energy around the produce that we were growing on the farm as well. And, um, it just kind of all felt like, you know, the, the fact that the food that we eat, you know, is grown in the soil and that, that sort of directly impacts our mental health and, you know, the way we feel. And then just being outside in nature with other people is, is a really great way to, um, you know, re- reduce stress and, and be more connected. And so, um, we, we decided to, to sell the farm and then open up a more public farm where we could have it as a space where people felt, you know, they could come down, do a meditation, but openly talk about their mental health and then grow vegetables. And the way, the more we kind of looked into it, we were kind of like, well, why is it that, you know, people talk about their, their physical health, they go to the gym, they, they floss their teeth for their, their dental health, but what are they doing for their mental health? And I think we kind of, you know, don't seem to acknowledge it, but everyone has mental health and everyone is affected by, you know, their environment. And, and just as I said, my my mental health, when everything's going well, it's great. But when things start to, um, you know, not go so well around me uh, or people in general, then mental health does start to suffer. So um, we just kind of wanted to make it something that people could talk about and, um, yeah, make it more of a public thing. So that's common ground down past Geelong, right so what's how does that integrate into your business um well it's had to pivot a little bit but initially it was set up as as a farm that um that restaurants and cafes around melbourne and geelong can essentially treat as their own farm so you pay to become a member um you come down to the farm one day a week um we work together as a group we we plant and we grow produce uh we have lunch together and then at the end of the day you go back to your to your restaurant and then every week all of the produce that gets grown gets divided up amongst the group and delivered to your restaurant. So, um, you know, I think there's a real, there's been a real disconnect for a lot of chefs where they're not really necessarily connected to the food they're, they're serving. Um, and that was sort of what we were doing pre-COVID. And then um, once COVID came along, obviously all the restaurants and cafes closed down so they no longer needed produce. So, um, we've kind of pivoted a little bit. We're still focusing on regenerative agriculture and also mental health awareness, but we're also now um, involved in growing produce and providing meals for those most vulnerable in our community. So um, through Moving Feast and also, which is a local um, social enterprise that's been set up, um, but also we've just reached out to some local community groups and um, organisations in the area to say, hey, we've got this produce, we're growing it, can we, um, can we offer it to you? Um, and we're also just about to launch our, our first pilot program where 
um, we received a small grant where we can basically um, work with a small group of asylum seekers in that area who um, would normally, you know, struggle with employment, but to be able to come down to the farm, work with us, um, and then go into the kitchen and provide uh, cook meals, and then those meals can then be provided to their community. So I guess they're involved in not only the process of growing their own produce, but then cooking it as well. So um, it's kind of it's kind of had to adapt a little bit, like a lot of businesses in this in this crisis. Mm. You, you're always like you're such a doer and a planner, and you're always coming up with the next great thing. I mean, I think that's just it's like what's Nathan going to do next like that's always a really exciting question but it must be so confronting for you to be at a a time in our history where it is so incredibly hard to plan yeah I think that's probably the hardest thing is that um you know when you're running a business anyway and you've got a restaurant you've already got a lot of financial um pressures on you in terms of you know, you're constantly looking at your reservations, making sure, you know, your targets are being met, your costings are all done properly. But um, this sort of this sort of whole thing's come along where there's no there's no um, way of knowing how long it's going to last for. So it's really hard to plan. Are you planning for three weeks? Are you planning for three months? Are you planning for six months? And and what um, what I've really struggled with personally is just um, one minute you feel like you've got a really clear plan and the next minute it just seems like, the, the totally worst plan you've got to readjust what that plan is because of you know the situation changing and I, I think I've, I've sort of you know spoken to my colleagues and a lot of other industry professionals and it seems like that's the biggest issue is that there's no there's no way of knowing um, how long to plan for and what to plan for so um, it's just um, yeah totally um, something you can't plan for that's such a fundamental change in how you would think about running businesses isn't it yeah look normally for me I kind of I look into the future and I say, what do I want to create and how do I want it to fit into this environment? But um, unfortunately, right now, we don't know what the future is going to look like, do we? So you, you can't really plan for a future that, 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 you know, doesn't exist. How do, you, how do you make sense of that? Like how do, you, how do you live in that reality and function and be a, an inspiring employer? Yeah, well, that's, a, that's, the, that's the battle and not just an inspiring employer but also a father and a husband, you know, like – I think um, I think you can kind of get overloaded and caught up in it. So I've kind of tried to make a decision to not spend 24 hours a day worrying about it and thinking about it and, and trying to control things that are out of my control. So, um, you know, I'll spend a few hours a day trying to do it, but then you've got to just essentially shut off and say, I can't, I can't do this all the time. Um, and I think that's part of the, the problem for me with, with you, know, um, you know, meditation and mental health. Meditation is all about trying to be present and being in the moment but so much of my time now is spent looking back into the past with um with regret or longing for the for what how it used to be and then also looking into the future with with fear and trepidation and not knowing what's going to come so um it's it's just trying to be be present and be in the moment not just for my my staff and my businesses but for my kids you know like if i if i can't um, do that, I'm, I'm going to struggle. And, you know, this could be something that goes on for three months, six months, 12 months. So you can't, you can't sort of live in that state forever, can you? It's kind of like being in limbo. Yeah. It's so interesting, you know, where meditation is, is a lot about being in the moment, but then when you probably need it more than ever, or it's more and more important to be in the moment. It's harder to find the time and the the muster up the energy and commitment to actually sit down and meditate. 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. Like when when things are going well, and you know, six months ago or twelve months ago, I had a, a really good routine of getting up in the morning, doing a meditation, doing some exercise. Whereas now that there's um, so much sort of uncertainty and turmoil, it's just so much harder to get out of bed in the morning because you've kind of got less um, things to kind of focus on. And I think you know, as, as a as a professional in this industry, you're always used to being able to kind of create a setting and control an environment. Um, and, and we're also used to being really busy, but now that, um, now that that's kind of been taken away, it's kind of like, how do you, how do you feel your day and how do you feel useful, um, in, in the day? So tell me, tell me about how you started meditating and, and what you think's good about it. Um, well, I, I, um, started doing Pilates for my back about 18 months ago cause I used to get a sore back and, um, got some really good results from that. And my teacher just said, oh, you should try um, meditation and I was like oh no nah, not for me you know um, and she said oh there's this 30 day challenge online if you want to do it so we did it and after about two to three weeks of kind of regularly meditating I actually really started to feel the, the positive benefits of it um, and I think it's probably like uh, not that I know but it's probably like going to the gym regularly where you start to get that kind of endorphin and that rush of going to the gym um, I started to get the same thing from meditation and my, my staff were like, you've meditated today, haven't you? I can tell you, you were in a much calmer state. I guess it's kind of like the way they, they kind of explain it and the way I see it is you start to realize that um, not everything has to affect you and not every um, situation has to kind of overcome you or overpower you. You can kind of just step back from it and let, um, let, let that kind of situation pass before you react. Um, and little things like, you know, every every emotion you have or every every act that happens, there's a beginning, there's a middle and there's an end. And you've got to kind of remember that when situations arise. So um, it's just been, you know, positive for me. And I guess it's some of those things where unless you, you kind of do it for a little while and, uh, and try it. But it's as simple as some people might get that same result from just going for an hour walk every day without, um, without any distractions and just being present in that in that kind of moment and have you brought meditation into your restaurants in a structured way yeah so when we when we opened uh liminal about 12 months ago we um we made it part of our our daily routine where you'd come in and do a meditation for 10 minutes um just through an app um and then you know staff could go and check in to the private dining room and do a meditation at any time um it's it's one of those things though like you you can't force people to do it you've got to kind of um have people do it sort of willingly otherwise it's kind of you know they might resent it but go and meditate now yeah yeah and smile (laughs) while you're at it you know doesn't really sound right does it (laughs) um but my general manager and my my senior staff have really embraced it um it's it's also been really well received down at the farm where um the staff senior staff have really kind of um taken it upon as well and um but i think it's one of those things where you've got to kind of do it in your own routine whether it be first thing in the morning when you wake up or um it's just nice to kind of integrate into your daily routine it's kind of like we say we kind of say it like mind floss it's like flossing your teeth but for your mind yeah right and I think yeah probably also like I was really bad at flossing until my dentist said you know you can do it in the shower and I was like oh yeah right so now I'm I'm really good at flossing because I for some reason I just could, I just found it so just so boring to do it at any other time but I love being in the shower so if I if I feel like I've got permission to be in the shower for an extra minute that I can make it happen well maybe you can meditate in the shower yeah <laughs> maybe I can meditate in the shower but then yeah. when would I floss <laughs> well you'd have to do both <laughs> uh, 
I'd have to do both. Um, But, yeah, it's it's funny. It's like I guess you just have to play around with different ways of getting these uh, things into your life if you you want to try to. But it's so – it does make me feel so – like it does make me question like what is it about being human that makes it so hard for us to do the things that would make us feel better when it's most important to do them? Like at this point where meditation would surely be incredibly valuable and helpful, why, does, why is that the time when it's hardest to actually do and to embed into your life? I think it's probably because we're used to seeing instant results. It's probably like going on a diet. You don't see the results straight away. You don't see it until maybe three or six months. And I think meditation is the same. It takes a few a few weeks before you start to really feel a positive um, result from it. So we're, we're probably wanting instant gratification or instant results and that's probably half the problem. Mm. So when you do have quite a few people in a restaurant that are meditating regularly, do you notice a difference in how things feel or how things operate? Yeah, it's, it's probably just a combination of um, the staff just being a bit more focused and a bit more settled and not getting as distracted or as, as maybe annoyed by things, you know, and... Um, but it's also just creating a culture where if you can see somebody's having a, a, a tough moment as a group, we can say, hey, you're okay, you need to take five minutes. Um, and it kind of goes back to that um, being a, a place where people feel comfortable talking about their mental health, you know, because it is all about, it's all connected. So, you know, people being able to say, hey, I'm really struggling today um, and, you know, not having to feel like um, you need a doctor's certificate, but to just better say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm struggling today and, and, and being able to say, why don't you just go and take five minutes, um, just just take a break um, and, and being comfortable saying that. Mm, I'm sure that. I'm sure that means so much to people that they feel like that's an okay thing to do or a way to be in a workplace. I think it's becoming more and more um, acceptable and even just, I can't even believe how much just in the last six months with what's been happening, like on the news now, there's all of these, um, you know, relief packages and and funding for mental health it's it's so crazy to think that it's come so quickly along so quickly in the last sort of 12 to 18 months um it really feels like there is a shift and i think you know people realize more than ever that it is a massive um a massive problem and a massive um area that we need to focus on yeah definitely Um, and you know just the way big big corporate companies have you know hr advisors and payroll well i think you'll see more and more companies having wellness um, components to their businesses as well yeah and and but hopefully smaller businesses like many restaurants and cafes will also be able to find ways to slot in that awareness and and making space for people to yeah look after their mental health as well because i think it's it's if, if people feel like it needs to be a big corporate thing with the big budget that goes with it then they might feel that it's not open to the, to their business Oh, look, the, the way we did it, we, we offered all of our staff um, the app and there's a few different apps we use, but they're all pretty pretty good. Um, and you can kind of set it as a challenge where it, it actually gives you, um, like it records your, your level of meditation for the week and it was kind of like a challenge to see who could do 30 days in a row. And I think once you've done 30 days, you, you, you don't need much more of an incentive than just the results of doing it. So I think it's just about getting through that, that first month so, um, yeah, just set yourself a challenge. So what's one app that people could look out for? Um, the, the one I like locally is called Smiling Mind. Um, and there's another one that I really like called um, Headspace. Um, and they, they both have a free, a free option to it. Smiling Mind is completely free. And you can just choose, you know, whether you want to do a five-minute one or a 10-minute one. But um, seriously, like, if you can commit to doing 10 minutes a day for a month, you, you, won't, um, you won't look back. And I think you'll really see the benefits of it and appreciate it and maybe your family and loved ones around you will as well. 
10 minutes doesn't sound too hard. but It's not, is it? I've just been trying to, one of my, my ISO challenge to myself was just to be able to do a plank for a minute and I still can't do that. So we'll, we'll see how I go. Maybe that's why we needed another six weeks of lockdown so yeah. I could get that sorted. Might be all that sourdough you've been baking. <laughs> no, I haven't got on the sourdough. I've just been eating everybody else's. Yeah. I know, like it's it's so crazy that during this time so many of people's good habits have kind of disappeared and, and you know, we've turned to comfort eating and, and, you know, all these things that aren't as good for us. But, yeah, it's it's time to um, take back control, I think. Mm. Um, so, Nathan, lots of people listening to this will have kids in their life in one way or another and you did mention, you know, that this is a challenging time to be a father. Can you talk a bit more about that and... Um, yeah, just what you find are some of the challenges with with being a father through COVID, and any tips that you might have for other parents. Um, yeah, look, I've got, I've got four little kids: um, ten, eight, five, and three. So, um, the the biggest challenge we've found with COVID is the homeschooling component. Um, you know, like I don't know how anyone's expected to be able to work while they're while they're doing that as well. Um, you know, teaching children is is tough at the best of times. Um, I guess, um, you know, for me, like when you own a business, you're never, you're always working. You're always sort of switched on. Um, you can't just, um, you know, leave, leave the job at work and go home. Um, but I've, I've probably got to be better at that. I think, um, you know, like anyone who works a lot, you've, you've got to be able to kind of say, Hey, this is, this is no longer work time. So, um, probably just doing things and I'm not saying I'm perfect at it by any means, Danny, but, um, you know, trying not to have the computer open all the time when you're at home or, or the phone, um, on you at all times. Um, I guess it's probably, it's probably really tough for kids to be going through this as well, because this is something that no one's ever faced before. So it must be really stressful for kids as well. So, um, I guess just trying to keep things as normal as possible when you can, but, um, yeah, I don't have, I don't have too many other tips. I mean, you've probably got a few as well, I guess. Yeah. Well, my kids are a I think my youngest is about the age of your oldest maybe. Um, so I've got teenagers and, yeah, I think it is really hard for them. Um, and I think there's definitely a lot to be said for trying to keep things normal but also accepting that they can perceive that things are definitely not normal as well. And I think it is it is really hard as a parent. You do want to create that certainty for your kids and that stability and when we are all feeling like things do keep changing so much and things are so uncertain. I don't know that it's, it's, I guess with kids, it's always that balance between wanting to be really honest and, and straight, but also to protect them. So yeah, I find it quite a difficult balance to strike. Um, and yeah, then there's just the practical stuff of, yeah, like homeschooling is, uh, yeah, quite challenging. Yeah. It's very challenging. I've got a lot more respect for teachers after all this, I have to say. I think the teachers have just, are so amazing. Yeah. Yes, they're incredible. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I, I'm, just, I'm yeah. That's why I'm pumping you for some <laughs> wise advice about how do we get through this as no, parents. I don't have the answers. Um, so you're you're really in the thick of the of the Melbourne restaurant world. Like, how do you think people are feeling about things at the moment? We're in the midst of lockdown number two. Um, it's hard to know if we're nearing a corner or where we are in this in this funny old journey. What, where do you think people are – how do you think people are placed? Look, it feels so different this time. I think um, the first time around um, 
the hardest thing for us the first time around was that we we didn't even know whether we were going to have JobKeeper. So we were closing these restaurants down that were uncertain of whether we could get JobKeeper because we were less than 12 months old. At that stage, they were saying, you know, to be eligible, you needed to show 12 months worth of trading history. So I think that that was for us was the biggest fear. And when we closed sort of in March, I, I remember saying to the guys, like, we could be opening again in six weeks. We could be opening again in September. We just don't know. Um, so that was that was really tough. And then to be reopening again so quickly was such an amazing feeling. Like, you know, to see the restaurants, even though they were restricted in terms of how many numbers we could serve, we were still, um, you know, fully booked each night. Um, Hazel was doing, you know, like double sittings. Dassu had um, only 20 people at a sitting, but it was it was a great feeling to be able to open again. Um, and then to close down again is, it's not just financially, um, you know, hard. It's also just demoralizing that, you you know, you've kind of, emotionally built up to reopening and then to re to close down again was just like heartbreaking and i think um you know we all kind of have to go into it optimistic but also realistic and that you know this this may be six weeks but it may be longer there's just so many things that are unknown um and i think a lot of um a lot of restaurants are gonna you know struggle to keep kind of turning off and on it's not just a matter of turning on a light switch or off a light switch it, it, it does take a lot of effort and energy and money to close down a business and then to reopen again. Um, so I, I don't know whether um, I don't know whether a lot of restaurants are going to rush to reopen again when it's just twenty people because um, it, it isn't very you know financially viable to open with twenty customers. It was probably more just to be able to be open and to be active again. Um, I think a few restaurants will probably wait until the next stage of maybe fifty people. Um, and I think we've all kind of started to realise that there will be restrictions in place for a long time um my worry is that people people are going to feel like um less likely to come out the next time around because they they'll worry that they'll then cause another shutdown and i think people have kind of um maybe got a bit ahead of themselves in the last lockdown and felt like we were you know we'd gotten through it and now maybe they realize this is going to be a longer a longer term thing so um yeah i i think there's a bit more uncertainty around this time and i think there's probably a a bit more fear in terms of like how long it's going to last. Yeah, I think the the energy that was present during the first lockdown just isn't there this time. Like there isn't that that energy. People, I guess, hadn't learnt to stop, and hospitality people aren't used to slowing down. So there was it was almost like we locked down, but we sped up in hospitality. There was so much energy in reinvention, and I think that just hasn't been there this time. I guess, you know, in some ways that's good because people just knew how to do takeaway. They had all their systems set up. But on the other hand, it was just people were so depleted and there was also it was so demoralising to be, um, you know, back worse than where we'd started in, in some ways. In other ways, you know, there's JobKeeper and there's those various structures. But, yeah, it's just it's bit of a slog um and yeah i i i think you're right i think that uh people will be much more wary as businesses and as diners as well so yeah who knows who knows where we'll be at yeah i wish i could say danny but um i think um i think the next next week or so we'll, we'll probably tell a lot for the future yeah well i've got my little light at the end of the tunnel is sitting in Dassu. i bought a medallion a Dassu medallion I felt like a <laughs> 17 year old clubber um and so i'm so it's so it's a key ring and it's got a d on it and it's for Dassu nathan's downstairs bar on flinders lane and i'll know that things are 
things are good when I can be sitting there drinking some grower champagne and having some great snacks and just flaunting my medallion and just feeling like Melbourne's open again and we're allowed to go out and have fun. So thank you. Thank you for holding that light at the end of the tunnel out for me and my dining compadres. Um, and yeah, thank you so much for having a chat today. Uh, albeit initially reluctantly, but I'm so glad that you got on board. I think you've said some really useful, important and, uh, yeah, actionable tips. That's what we love, right? Mm, thanks, Danny. Thanks for um, reaching out and, and pushing me to, um, to talk. Thanks, Nathan. All the best. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. <laughs>